This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Tom Byrne travelled from Ireland to South Africa aged 19 to work as a miner in 1896. At this time, the first conflicts were taking place of what would eventually boil over as the Second Boer War. Irish nationalists at the time viewed the Boers as a people oppressed by British imperialism. The majority of the people working in the mines at the time were British. However, the few Irish men that were there were banded together to form the Irish Brigade. This was organised by Tom Byrne, along with a few others, including John McBride, who would go on to be executed after the Easter Rising. They fought alongside the Boers when the war eventually broke out. Tom describes an early Boer victory. The Boers bluffed the British by letting them observe smoke issuing from certain positions on the hillside and odd corners of tents erected here and there. While the Boers were really in a position in little dried up streams half a mile in advance of them. The British, believing the hillside to be occupied, sent up two batteries of artillery to shell the hill but were met with rifle fire from the concealed Boer positions and most of the artillerymen and horses were killed immediately. For the British, these defeats brought with them the realisation that the war could not be won that easily and they redoubled their war effort, sending masses of troops from around the British Empire. The tide turned against the Boers and they were eventually forced into a retreat. We, with a few Boer artillerymen, were always the last at crossing rivers. The Boer artillery would then open up fire on the advancing British cavalry to hold them back until all our commissariat was across the river. Unfortunately at this time, horses had become scarce with the Boers and in crossing the Sand River, I saw one of our long toms drawn by oxen. When all the remnants of the Boer army had gone, we did our work of destruction of the bridges. We always left a notice with the compliments of the Irish Brigade, which was read by the British 15 minutes afterwards. This demolition work delayed the British advance. They had been cornered and the war was over for the Irish Brigade. They surrendered to the authorities in neighbouring Portuguese East Africa, modern-day Mozambique. After a period of imprisonment, they were deported and Tom Byrne elected to go to America, where he worked for 13 years in various mines in Montana, Colorado and California. I returned to Ireland on a visit, but I elected to stay because the volunteer movement had practically started. I was at the first meeting to form the volunteers in the rotunda. When they started to form companies and battalions, I became a member of B Company, 1st Battalion. I took part in the Holt gun running and in the Kilcool gun running. In the lead up to the Rising, Byrne was made commanding officer of the Kildare Volunteers by Porrig Pierce. On Easter weekend, amidst all the preparations, he was told to expect a delivery of gelignite from a man named Moran. When Moran arrived with his sister on Saturday from Dublin, I interrogated him about the stuff. He had none. All he had was a little revolver. I had to go up to Dublin that Saturday evening to get it. I went to the house in Filsborough where I lodged. Sheehan's. Miss Sheehan put 60 sticks of gelignite in a bag and travelled by train to Newbridge. I could not take it as I had to cycle back. I was not allowed to travel by the train. She actually got some soldiers to help her carry the bag from the station into the town where she stayed overnight at the central bar. The confusion of the countermanding order resulted in much fewer volunteers turning out than expected. Byrne eventually met up with a group of men in Maynooth, which he took charge of. They marched through the town. The whole town was looking on, including the RIC, who did not interfere. 
Ted O'Kelly was in the act of drawing his revolver to shoot them on the spot. But I said, no, Ted, they are not armed. They gave credit for this to Donald Buckley, and after his release, the sergeant thanked him for saving their lives. They began the long march to Dublin, which took them well into the night. They walked along the railway line, as trains were not running due to the fighting in the city centre. We continued on into Glasnevin Cemetery, and there I told the men to lie down and rest, while I would find a place to stack our assortment of arms. I went around the cemetery in the dark by myself. I examined the vaults, but none of the doors would open. Finally, I succeeded in getting into one of the towers along the way dividing the botanic gardens and the cemetery and saw that it contained a big tank eight or ten feet off the ground. I decided that it was a suitable place to hide our arms and I went back to tell the men to move in with their arms. We hoisted one man up on the tank and he found it was dry. We stored all the arms there. The men eventually made it to the centre of Dublin where they reported to the GPO for orders. They took over a decorating business on Parliament Street, where they could fire at City Hall on Dame Street, which was occupied by the British. Here, Tom once again found himself taking aim at British soldiers. We had a full view of the City Hall, whereas the British garrison had very little space to fire at us. The British made several attempts to get into the evening mail office across the road via the main entrance. We had complete control over them. One of our men, Donald Buckley, shot a few of them. We were up on the roof, which we had barricaded with big rolls of wallpaper. When the British gave up their attempt to occupy the evening mail offices, Byrne and his men were recalled to the GPO. We stayed in the post office for two or three days. I did not get any sleep there at all, because I was in command of the men in the windows, and had to see that they kept awake. On Thursday I was ordered to take about ten men and occupy a corner house at Cable Street Bridge. We were proceeding towards Cable Street when we met an armoured car. There was no back alley where we could break into the house and we were in full view of everyone. We retreated to the post office. We met Connolly at the door. Come on, he said. I and my party followed him. We went down Liffey Street. He told me to take the one house that was standing there. He went off around the corner and into the independent offices. I think in evacuating that was where Connolly got wounded. We stayed in this house on Thursday. Occasionally I would go out to the corner shop and peep up Cable Street. I saw one woman shot crossing the street. Byrne could see that the fight was hopeless and the surrender confirmed this. There were a couple of young men with me who were deserters from the Dublin Fusiliers and they asked me, seeing as the fight was over, would I give them a chance to make their getaway as it would be very serious for them if they were caught fighting with us. This was on Friday. I saw the force of their necessity and let them go. That evening, I said to the others, it's all over now. There's no use trying to retreat to the post office. Each one of us can now make his getaway. I forget where we dumped our arms. I crossed the street with Jack Kenny and a couple of others and we went into an old furniture premises. No one would ever suspect us being in this house. I went upstairs. There was no one in the house. I went in there and got something to eat, and also a moleskin trousers and an old jerry hat. I changed my clothes, and with a few days' growth of beard on me, 
look quite the part of an ordinary navvy or working man. On Sunday morning I saw the people moving around outside, going to Mass. I dug my hands down into the two pockets in front of the moleskin trousers. I had my old hat on my head. The only thing that looked respectable about me was my shoes. I had got a new pair of shoes in the GPO as my own were worn out after the march from Kildare. I left the house in Liffey Street. I slouched up O'Connell Street. All the fighting had ceased. I passed a British officer holding our flag, and I think it was the post office flag. The only danger I felt was that I would meet some police or detectives who would recognise me. Tom Byrne spent a considerable amount of time on the run following this. He made it all the way to Derry and then to Belfast, where he stayed until the end of 1916. On his return to Dublin, he rejoined the volunteer movement and was made Commandant of the 1st Battalion of the Dublin Brigade. A number of arrests and prison sentences followed during the War of Independence, culminating in a daring escape through a tunnel from Rath Camp in the Curragh, County Kildare. Next week we will be looking at that episode in greater detail. Tom Byrne's military witness statement was read here by his grandson, Conor O'Leary. I'm Owen Cody. Thanks for listening.